a psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are, they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues stretch through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength, is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Holy Father, what a privilege it is that you have given us the Holy Scriptures. As the rain waters the earth brings forth life, so does your word. Your word goes out of your mouth. It does not return empty, but accomplishes your purposes. As we are now gathered in your presence today, in the name of Christ, we ask that you work through your servant Ian, that he may be able to preach your word with clarity and power. Lord, help us to set aside the distractions of this world, the burdens that we are carrying. Help us in this moment to lay them down at the feet of Christ. Let us listen to your word this morning. And as we listen with our ears, may our souls be fed by your word. May we be satisfied in you alone. Your commands bring us true joy. Your promises bring us true peace. Your words are the words of eternal life. Help us that as we listen and heed your word, that we would submit our minds and our affections to your holy will. Help us to seek the things that are above. Cause us to be transformed by the renewal of our minds according to your word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. 
We pray all this in the name of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I just had to check to see if John was going to give me a hug. <laughs> I <was> just... <laughs> Charlie has started a great tradition of, of hugging, and I, I like it, but I just want to make sure I know. A lot of love. Um, well, again, good morning. It is wonderful to be with you guys today. We are studying Psalm 73, and this is a psalm that God has used to bring me a lot of peace and comfort. So I need to warn you that during the psalm, uh, during the sermon, I'm going to be a little bit more open and vulnerable on a couple of things, just to, just to give you guys a heads up. Because God has used the psalm so much to me personally, I feel this psalm, God has used it especially in the last four months as our family has gone through some transition, and I really feel this psalm deep in my heart. So just as a heads up for that. Now before we jump into Psalm 73, I do need your help with something. Can you think of a time in your life, that something going on right now, or something that has happened in the recent past that has caused you frustration, or anger, or bitterness, something that has caused fear or anxiety to well up inside your heart? It could be a hard time at work. Maybe it's a financial situation that your family's in that's, that's not good. Maybe there's a difficult family situation. Someone received a terrible diagnosis or there's a big health concern in your family. Maybe you're just upset with the direction of our country in general. But what is it, if you can think of something that's bothering you, something that's causing you fear, something that's making you scared, something that's causing deep anxiety, and kind of take that problem and hold it right here because we're going to come back to it during the sermon. A couple months ago, I was hanging out with my absolutely beautiful wife, Megan. And uh, I came up to Megan and I asked her this question. Megan, how have I changed in 16 years of marriage? We have been, we've been married 16 years. We'll be 17 years in just a few weeks. And I was just curious. How have I changed in 16 years of marriage? And when I asked that question, I was in a really good mood. Okay, really happy mood. <laughs> I was kind of feeling goofy. If you haven't seen that side of me yet, you definitely will. I'm kind of a, a goofy big kid. And so I was expecting her to say some sort of big praise. Like that's what I was really hoping for, some sort of big compliment. So Megan, my sweet wife, <laughs> how have I changed in 16 years of marriage? And I thought she would say something like, oh, my husband, my, my darling husband, <laughs> you, you have grown in compassion for our children. You have grown in love for our family. I'm so thankful for you. Or I thought she would say, I, I take a lot of pride in my dad jokes. I thought she would say something like, you know, early on in marriage, your dad jokes were really bad. You would say stuff like, why is the number six afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine, right? It's okay. Thank you for your mercy laugh. I appreciate it. But later on in marriage, you've said really good jokes like, why did the little boy throw peanut butter into the ocean? To go with the jellyfish, peanut butter and jelly. You get it? <laughs> Slightly better, thank you. Thank you for that. And I share that with you because I genuinely thought she was going to say something like that. How have I changed in 16 years of marriage? I thought she was going to praise me along those lines. I genuinely was expecting, my heart was built up to receive a compliment like that. So when I asked her this question, she immediately answered, without any hesitation, without any thought, as if she had been waiting years <laughs> for me to, to ask this question. And she, without thought, she answered, you get scared really easily. <laughs> you get scared really easily. 
And again, I was in a happy mood, so I stepped back and I was like, what? What? That's it? Yeah, don't ask the question if you don't want to know the answer. <laughs> but when, when we were young in our marriage, nothing scared you. Now that you're older, you get scared all the time. And so I left the room. I was, I was mad. I was kind of big mad. I, I left the room and I went for a long walk. And I'm walking down the street and I'm on the sidewalk. And I'm just kicking these rocks off the sidewalk thinking, how can she say that I'm the one that gets scared? If a little stink bug flies into the house... <laughs> She freaks out and tells me to come over and take care of it. She's the one that's scared. I'm the warrior. I'm the warrior. <laughs> and so I'm walking down the street. I'm thinking of all these things. And uh, I start reflecting on life over the last couple of years. It was a long walk. And I start reflecting on these different things. And I keep thinking of all the times in our marriage where I wondered if we had enough money to take care of our family. We have six kids. Four of those six kids are boys. Do you know how, many, how much food four boys eat? Spoiler alert, it's a lot. It's a lot of food. And so I'm wondering, do we have enough money to take care of our family? And inside, I get filled with fear. And this anxiety starts bubbling up inside of me. Or I think along the lines of, what if something were to happen to Megan or one of our six kids? And again, this fear fills my heart. I get scared terrified, all this anxiety comes up, and I'm just helpless in that situation. Or I think about things that have happened. A couple years ago, we had a miscarriage, and the effect of that miscarriage on Megan's physical and mental health was devastating. And I just sat back helpless, just terrified, because there was nothing I could do to help my wife. And a couple years before that, I had a sweet friend who was tragically killed in a motorcycle accident. And anytime Megan would get in the car, or we'd go somewhere, I would think, is something tragic about to happen? And again, this fear would fill my heart. I'd have so much anxiety. So I'm walking down the street, and all this stuff is playing through my mind over the last couple years, and I just stop. And I go, oh, no. Oh, no. She's right. <laughs> She's right. I do get scared really easily. So now I have to go home and tell her that she was right and I was wrong which is always a fun activity for a man. <laughs> but more than that, I have to go to God and deal with this issue. Because inside of my heart, I'm elevating safety above God himself. Safety is found in, in family being okay. Safety is found in having enough money, and I'm taking it above God himself. So there's serious work that needs to be done inside my heart. And this is where Psalm 73 comes in, because this is the psalm that God usually brings me back to when I'm in these moments. When I feel scared, when I'm terrified, when, when something with anxiety is bubbling up inside my heart, Psalm 73 is what God starts to use to wiggle into my heart and change my perspective. It's not, I resist, I resist, it's not perfect, but that's what he uses. In Psalm 73, the main verse is this. But when I thought how to understand this, and I'll explain what this is in just a minute, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Asaph, who is the man who wrote Psalm 73, had this light bulb go off in his mind. He saw this problem, and he was not doing good with it. He was in a rough spot. But then he took that problem into the sanctuary of God and in the sanctuary of God, he found peace. The problem was still out there. It didn't change, but his heart began to change. He started to feel peace. 
So I have one single point for you guys this morning, and it's this. I hope you guys walk away with this. There is peace for you in the sanctuary of God. Now, first of all, who is Asaph? Who is this man who wrote the psalm? He is a Levite. He is a priest. He is the author of 12 psalms. He was a close friend to David. And in fact, David appointed him as chief minister in the temple. So Asaph is a man who loves God. He loves God's commands. He is a man who would be well recognized because he is constantly serving in the temple. And Asaph, at the beginning of Psalm 73, he starts the whole psalm by making this general confession, this good confession. And this is what he says. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now you would expect a man in Asaph's position to say something like this, just like if you would would expect Greg or any elder to come up here and say, God is good. He's good. And he is good to those who are pure in heart. This is a simple confession that you would fully expect the chief minister to say. But then we get to verse 2. And verse 2 is really interesting. And and please watch this. What what starts in verse 2 is Asaph. He's going to take his chest and he's going to open it straight up like this. And we're going to see directly into his heart. No filter. He's not trying to impress anybody. We get to see directly into the chief minister's hearts. And what we're going to find is a man who is struggling. He's stumbling. Listen to what he says in verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, and my steps had nearly slipped. God is good to all of Israel. Come here. Come here. But for me, I'm struggling. Inside, I'm hurting. I'm stumbling right here. Can you guys resonate with that at all? Have you ever come to church? Maybe Asaph, you know, he's got to put on this face. He's the chief minister. He comes to the temple. Asaph, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? God is good. This is great. Have you ever come to church and you just didn't feel like being here? You know, you, you put on this face. Someone says, hey, how are you doing today? Well, you know what? The tomb is empty. It's a great day. But in the inside, you're struggling. Have you guys done that before? It's no judgment. I have. I've come to church. Ian, how are you doing? I'm doing great, brother. How are you? Great. Good. Let's go to the house of the Lord and worship together. But I was struggling inside. If that resonates with you in any way, or if that thing that's on your mind right now, if it's causing you deep anxiety, it's causing you pain, but you're not talking about it, I believe Psalm 73 is perfect for you this morning. So let's continue. We get to verse 3, and Asaph is going to tell us why he's struggling. Listen to what he says in verses 3 through 12. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with violence. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Asaph is struggling because he sees the way of the wicked, and he starts to grow envious of their ways. The wicked are all wealthy. 
the thieves are getting these massive paydays. They're rich. And on top of being wealthy, they're also healthy. They don't suffer like everyone else's suffer. How come they don't get that cancer diagnosis? How come their friends aren't tragically killed in accidents? Why don't they have heart problems? They're wealthy, they're healthy, and they're powerful. They commit these crimes, but they do not get in trouble. And just in case they do get caught, when they go to court, they don't get any sort of punishment. There is a double standard in the court system. They're healthy, they're wealthy, and they're powerful. And they know it. And because they know it, they are prideful, they are violent, they overflow with folly, they speak with malice, and they threaten oppression. They build themselves up by smashing other people down. That's how they got to the position that they are in. Verse 9 continues, and Asaph says, they speak defiantly against a holy God. They speak against the heavens. How can God know anything that's going on? Basically, I am God. God doesn't see what's going on. I'm wealthy. I'm healthy. I'm powerful. God doesn't know what's going on. Asaph summarizes in verse 12, and he says, Behold, these are the wicked. They are always at ease, and they increase in riches. Now, Asaph, the next couple of verses, remember, he's taking his chest, he's opening straight up to us, and we're going to see deeper into his heart in these next three verses. He says this, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. My brothers and sisters, Asaph is in deep spiritual trouble. The chief minister is struggling. He is struggling, and he is not in a good spot. Did you catch the contrast between verse 1 and verse 13? In verse 1, he makes that general confession. God is good to Israel. He's good to those who are pure in heart. Verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. What a contrast. At the very beginning, God is good to those who are pure in heart. This is vanity to keep my heart clean. I'm wasting my, my time by keeping my hands innocent. He is totally shifted from verse 1 to verse 13. We're seeing directly into his heart. He is questioning everything. This is the chief minister and he is questioning everything. Is it worth it to follow God? The, the wicked, I see how they're living. It looks kind of nice. They got money. They got power. They got fame. They're not going to get in trouble. Hmm. Maybe there's something to that. Or if you relate it to our world today, you know, maybe it would be a whole lot easier if we just believe it's okay for four-year-old girls to become four-year-old boys. Everyone else is doing that. That seems a lot easier. After all, it's just those bigots that say you can't be whatever you want. So maybe we'll just start believing in that. It's hard to stay in God's command sometimes, and he is struggling with this stuff. So he's going to continue on. In verse, verse 15, he says something. This is a verse that you could preach a whole sermon on verse 15 by itself. He said this, If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. This applies to us so much today, especially for Christian men. Especially for Christian men. Asaph knows that he is in a powerful position. 
He's the chief minister. People are looking up to him. People respect him. They admire his faith. So he does not want to bring other people down. That's respectable. It's commendable. That's, that's good. He does not want to hurt the faith of other people. But do you see what he does instead of talking about his problem? He takes his problem right here. He takes a bottle, sticks it in this bottle, puts the cap on it, and then shoves it into his heart. He doesn't talk about it. I cannot say anything that's going on. Whether it's reality or just perception because he's in a dark spot, he speaks to no one about his problem. And that's so dangerous. My friends, that problem that I asked you about at the beginning of the sermon, does anybody know about it? Do you talk to people about it? If you're a member here at Grace Covenants, we are in covenant with one another to love each other, to have each other's backs, to support each other. Does anyone in here know that thing that's going on in your minds? Does anyone in here know the real you? Do you know other people at a deeper level? We cannot make Asaph's mistake and take those problems that we have and put it in a bottle and then just jam it deep into our hearts. In Genesis 1 and 2, God made the entire world. And after he made the entire world, he looked at it and said, it's, it's good. It's all good, except for one thing. And that one thing was the loneliness of Adam. It is not good for man to be alone. In all of creation, there was only one thing that was not good. It was Adam's loneliness. And what does God do to fix that problem? He does not give Adam more animals. I say that because we just got cats, you know, and my family loved these cats. But he didn't give him these cats, okay? And he does, God does not give Adam a Xbox or a PlayStation. He does not give Adam a social media account. He gives Adam human companionship. He gives him Eve, a human to, to spend his life with, to talk to. We are not meant to walk alone through our problems. We're meant to talk about our problems, to have people that know us and we know them and that support us and love us. And this is a great place for that to happen in the church of God with God's people. So what we find is he's struggling. He sees the wicked. They're healthy. They're wealthy. They're powerful. They get away with everything. And he's questioning if he should go along and do what, he, what they're doing. Because after all, he's serving in the temple every single day. And what does he get? He gets stricken. And he gets rebuked every morning. Every morning he's stricken and rebuked. And the wicked just have these wonderful lives. Is this all worth it? Asaph is in deep trouble. He continues on to verse 16 and 17, which are the verses I shared with you this morning. And this is where the grace of God just kicks in to hyperdrive. Just kicks in and saves Asaph. Asaph said, But when I thought how to understand this, this being how the wicked thrive, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. By the grace of God, Asaph goes into God's house. He goes into the sanctuary. And when he does that, he puts on these sort of God glasses. Okay, So he puts on these God glasses and he views the problem through those God glasses. So you imagine that problem that's right here. Kind of put it right here. Imagine I have three hands. And, you know, problem's right here. And he puts on these God glasses and just sees that problem through God's lens. And because of that, he starts to, get, he starts to gain clarity and he gains peace. And this makes sense because you and I are made for so much more than just what's going on right here. In John chapter 14, Jesus said that he's leaving earth to go to heaven to prepare a place for us. 
Last week, Travis talked about Philippians 3.20, and Paul said that our citizenship is in heaven. We may be American citizens, but our true citizenship, our big citizenship, is in a kingdom that is so much greater than America. Our citizenship is there. And so when we take, our, when we take on those glasses from heaven and we put them through earthly things, we begin to gain, gain, gain clarity and peace. It doesn't mean that those problems magically go away. They're still there. But inside, Asaph is beginning to change. He's beginning to gain peace and clarity about this problem that the wicked are thriving and he is not in an earthly context. So he continues on and his heart is slowly coming back to the Lord. Listen to what he says in verses 18 to 20. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by tears. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Asaph is reminded of the real fate of the wicked in this eternal mindset. With this eternal mindset on this eternal timeline, it's the wicked that are actually slipping, not Asaph. The wicked are slipping. The wicked are stumbling. It's them that are going to suffer forever and ever and ever. Asaph begins to gain peace through those God glasses that he's putting on, and he understands that it's not him that's in trouble. It's the wicked. Again, my friends, that problem that I asked you guys about at the beginning of the sermon, have you taken that problem into the house of God? When something happens, when that fear comes up and then anxiety comes up, do you go to the house of God and pray, God, help me through this? Do you find Bible verses that are associated with that problem? Do you call someone at our church and ask them to pray for you and pray over you? Have you put on these God glasses and viewed the problem through that lens? And that's not discounting anything that's going on. We know that there is real pain and real suffering going on. And that pain and suffering might not change, but the peace in our heart can change. Okay? The, peace there, uh, the peace in here can change. So Asaph continues, and he goes on to verse 21, and he says, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Asaph is beginning to come out of this dark spot and he's reflecting back on what just happened and he realizes how dark of a position he was in. He didn't realize it at the beginning, but now that God has drawn him out and drawn him away from that dark spot and now that he's gone to the sanctuary of God and he's put on these God glasses and he sees through a brand new perspective, he realizes how bad of a situation he was in. And he describes it like this. I was embittered. I was brutish. I was ignorant. I was like a beast. He realizes the dark spot that he was actually in. And I don't know if that resonates with you or if you've ever been in this dark spot and then God has brought you out and you reflect back on that time and you think, wow, I was in a bad situation. Like God was faithful when I was faithless. I told you guys at the beginning of the sermon that one of the things that caused a lot of fear and stress in my life was when my friend was killed in that motorcycle accident. And I was at a, a previous church. I was an elder in that church. And uh, the, my friend that was killed was, was a church member. He's a very prominent member. People loved him. He had a young family. And when he was killed, I, I was so mad. I was so mad at God. I refused to read the Bible. I was like, I'm not doing that. I was just angry. Um, I was bitter. I was scared. All these emotions were going on. But I did what Asaph did. I took that problem, 
I put it in a bottle, I put a cap on it, and I put it deep inside my heart. And I'd have these church members, they would come up to me, and they would say stuff like, and they were just processing through emotions, but they would say stuff like, oh, he's in a better place now. Or they would say stuff like, well, everything happens for a reason, right? And inside my mind, as they were saying this stuff to me, they didn't know I was in deep pain. They didn't know that I was deeply hurting. But when they would say that stuff to me, he's in a better spot. Things happen for a reason. The only thing that I could think about, the only thing going through my mind, was I was fantasizing how wonderful it would feel just to punch them. <laughs> That's all I wanted to do. I told you I'd be open at the beginning of the sermon. But they would say, oh man, you know, like, you know, God, God is he's good and these things happen. And I'd think, yeah, yeah. And if you could just tilt your, t- your chin just a little bit, <laughs> that'd be great. And then when I, even preparing for this sermon, I was, I was thinking back to the time, I realized how, how dark of a spot that I was in, that I was brutish, that I was ignorant, that I was beast-like. In general, it's not good for church elders to punch their people. Like, that's not good policy. And I came back from that moment, and I thought, oh my goodness, like, God brought me from, from that brink. Like, I was in a bad situation in that moment. So I feel what Asaph is saying here, because I had been it. I get it because I have been it. But Asaph, he continues on here, and he's looking at how he was faithless in this situation, how he was struggling, but he looks at how faithful God has been. And he said this, Nevertheless, I am continuously, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you receive me to glory. This is exactly what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, what Greg preached on a couple weeks ago. There is nothing, please hear this, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. It's not possible for the elect of God to be taken out of God's hand. Why? Because as Asaph said, he is continually with us and he holds our right hand. It's not that I have this death grip onto God, it's that he has this death grip onto me. Nothing can separate us from God. It's just not possible. No one can bring a charge against God's elect. If we are in Christ, we are in Christ, and we cannot be moved. Nothing can happen. So what Asaph says here in Psalm 73 is exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. It's scripture agreeing with scripture, saying the same thing. Nothing can take us out of God's hand. Two weeks ago, Glenn preached on on Psalm chapter 1, And he encouraged us to dig our roots deep into the word of God and into God himself. And I love that analogy that we just take our roots and we go deep into this book. And why? Why should you do that? Because he's the one who is always faithful. He is the one who never changes. I change all the time. Ask my wife. I constantly change my mind. He never does. He is always faithful. He is always there. It's him that holds on to us. And it's him that brings us back from those dark spots. This is why we dig our roots deep into God. This is why we read the Bible all the time, because he is faithful and he will never leave or abandon us. As Paul gets, or I'm sorry, as Asaph gets to the end of uh, Psalm 73, he says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Look at this journey that Asaph went on. If you could, uh, Sarah, go to the next slide. Uh, This big journey that Asaph goes on in verse one, 
He says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Could you go to the next slide, sir? This big journey here. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He's up here. But then in verse 13, he sinks down, all in vain have I kept my heart clean. God is good. This is a waste of time. And then he comes back in verse 26, and he says, my flesh and my heart might fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Through all that time when he was in this good spot, God is good to those who are pure in heart. This is a waste of time. God is the strength of my heart. Through that whole process, God never abandoned Asaph. God remained faithful. Through the ups and downs, he always remained faithful. That problem that's on your guys' mind right now, God is faithful to it. Whether you're deep, if you're in a verse 13 mode right now, where you're thinking, is this worth it? I came to church sort of out of habit this morning, but is this sort of worth it? Yes, he will bring you out. He will never leave you or abandon you. And I'm not saying that your situation is going to change or your problem is going to change. But when Asaph peels back his heart, we find a man who gains peace and clarity inside the sanctuary of God. That same peace that Asaph found, the peace that Paul found, the peace that Christians have found for thousands of years is available to you and me this morning. Asaph took that problem into the house of the Lord. And I encourage you to take that problem that's on your mind into the house of the Lord and find peace that Asaph found. Let's pray together. Father, we do thankful, we do thank you that we are sometimes just in rough spots and you are faithful to us. Even though that we're struggling, we're stumbling, we're slipping, you remain faithful to us. Thank you, God, that no one, nothing can separate us from your love. No one can bring a charge against God's elect. God, we're thankful. We are thankful for the life of Asaph. We're thankful to see this journey that you took him through, where things were great and then things were terrible, and then you brought him through. You brought him into your house. He gained new clarity, new peace, and his heart was restored. Father, I pray over my brothers and sisters in this room. In the name of Jesus, if there is fear, uh, if there is anxiety, if there is troubles in our hearts, Father, I pray peace in the name of Jesus over us. Father, I pray that you would give us courage to talk about what's going on in our hearts to other members of this church, that we would pray for each other, we would go out of our mind, go out of our way to seek one another out, to pray for each other, that we'd go out of our way to have one another's backs. Thank you, Father, that you call us to be a church family, and I pray for more wisdom with how we can do that even better. We're thankful for peace in the sanctuary of God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys would please stand and continue to worship through song.